Hey there, this is Rich with John Kennedy. Welcome to Above Board with Candor Path. We are so grateful that you're here. John, how are you doing today? You're looking kind of handsome. I'm feeling anxious, I, you know, which is the purpose of this podcast. I, I'm fasted <laughs> and I've had five cups of coffee. Not really, three actually. Three is the real number. No, but is I'm it really jittery. three though? What, what's the ounces really of your coffee cup though? Do you know? 12, 10, and 10. Oh, so you so you had 12, 10, and 10. Well, yes, according awesome. to according to the um, American Medical Association, a cup of coffee is eight ounces. Oh, so, so I've had four. So you had like fifth. I've had this mug, for those of you that can't see, um, that aren't watching on our YouTube channel, my Batman mug, which is 12 ounces. And this is my third one. So <laughs> 36 ounces of caffeine. And I am also fasted. But yesterday was my birthday. And... It was the first thing like, to tell you this. Just my, to prove how much I'm drinking, I have two I, different cups of coffee. I appreciate One that. says today's goal is keep the tiny humans alive. And then the other one is a Dunder Mifflin one. Which I mean, is well-balanced, well-balanced, I must say. So, I, you know, it's interesting because I, yesterday was my birthday. I turned 56. Happy belated. Happy birthday to me. I know. Thank you so much. And um, I have been eating very, very clean for the last several months. And yesterday was the first day that I've had a significant amount of carbs and processed sugar. I, I had um, donuts, specifically hmm. three, and I ate um, some macaroni and cheese. And that's what I that's what I did. And so I'm actually up four pounds, which is not real pounds. It's just water weight. But it's kind of funny that like literally one day of eating like crap, and I, I put you and I are pounds. so similar. Like balance for you and I is so like one extreme. Then it's like super extreme. We're eating broccoli mm-hmm. and grilled chicken, or Five Guys and Donut no, oh, King. Oh, Five Guys! I forgot. And... Thanks for reminding me. Five Guys was my birthday dinner. Well, I didn't and... want to specifically call it out, but I thought no, it is. I call it to make it sound a little fancier. I call it Five Guys. But I had Five Guys yesterday. Five Guys, and um, I only ate three quarters of the burger. I had much less fries than I normally do. And then yesterday also um, marks a mile marker for me. It was my first Peloton ride because I asked my wife for my birthday to give me, cause I'm not really a cardio guy. I did a 20 minute Peloton ride. I did it pretty good. I'm proud to say that out of, out of nine, out of 19,000 people that have done this ride, I was better than 4,000 of them. So there's 4,000 losers that are so in such bad. <laughs> I love that. Me. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. They're not losers. No, but, but I, that's, that's the motivating thing about doing those. It's like you put I yourself know. in a race against these strangers. I know. And, I, and then I'm I like, know. oh, I, I still, I still lost. Like right. I lost to like 4,000 people ahead of me. It's okay. I know. And then the 4,000 people were probably like f- pretending to do it. They were probably just like not even really trying. So I didn't. I make up stories in my head when other people are doing them live. <laughs> and like, I can see like there's somebody he's, and it says like male, it'll say like age range. So it says right. like male mid thirties. And I'm like, oh, this guy thinks. And well, I but you're doing pedaling. a but you did a live one. Like mine, I don't think was live. It just shows you all the people that have this. I didn't know you can do that. But you're talking about like live one, like you're in it. I don't well, want to do that because I don't want people to look at me and go, "What's wrong with you, Rich? Keep up!" Like I'd be all embarrassed and get. We're gonna get the whole podcast following to start following your handle on Peloton. How about that? Oh my! Or gosh. just keep it private. You don't. Have I'm not to. even telling what my handle is, but it is the Rich B is me. But anyway, so John and I today want to talk about anxiety, but I want to start with a quote. And I thought this quote was great. And so if, I, if I'm if i saying this name incorrectly, uh, the quote is attributed to someone named Jody Picole, P-I-C-O-U-L-T. I think that's Picole. And I love this quote. 
Anxiety is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you very far. I thought Beautiful. that was kind of deep from Ms. Joe. Poetic. Poetic, nonetheless. Let's talk a little bit about anxiety. And if you want to not even call it anxiety, I mean, we can even look at it just being, you know, always activated, hyper, uh, type A, uh, worried. I, I think that's something that's really prevalent in our society, in your professional, personal life, you're such a, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know if I should call you a chill guy. You're not a chill guy. You're really not, but I think you're a very confident person. Uh, but do you think that sometimes you deal with anxiety? If, if you, if at all, I appear to be chill to you or anybody listening to this, know that I'm like the duck in the pond, like above the water. I'm very calm, but below the water, I'm just pedaling like crazy. Like the feet are just going nuts. And uh, I, I guess I would say I work really hard to appear like I'm relaxed because that's 100% not my reality. And uh, I don't, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I am for some, I guess I would say like I'm predisposed to being an anxious person. I've always kind of had that, uh, mm -hmm. that way about me. I like over preparing for things. I find that if I'm over prepared, I feel a little less anxious going into certain stuff, even like this stuff. You know, it's really nice having you on the podcast because I feel so, I feel so comfortable doing these with you when I've done solo ones before. I mean, I'm anxious about this. I've never, Are you know, you really? I've only done it. You, you, yeah, seem, I've never you seem pretty comfortable. It's interesting because on the outside, you seem watching you because there's times that I'm traveling or Matt's traveling or whatever, uh, or busy you seem good. There's no, I don't pick up on that, but in, inside you, when you're doing them, are you feeling the duck in anxious? the pond, man? I'm yeah, the duck really. in the pond. Just feet are just going, kicking away like in a fur. Were you a like that as a kid, as oh, a child? Were you, so like you did sports, you were a baseball player, right? Yeah. Would, would you get, how, how would anxiety manifest for you? I'm just, I'm asking this because for everybody, it's different. Were you a stomach person? Were you a headache person? Were you a crier? How would you physically manifest your anxiety? <laughs> <laughs> all of the above. No, I, uh, I would definitely get, I would get stomach aches. So I'd get nauseous. So, so leading into, let's say a, a baseball game or a basketball game, those are the two sports I played growing up. I couldn't eat because I was so in, my thoughts were just so entrenched in like repeating on repeat, like what might happen, what could happen. So I couldn't eat. I was very anxious and, and high energy. And sometimes even now today, I try to, I try to remove the word, um, anxiety from my thought process like like in recording a podcast solo or doing a virtual we did a virtual presentation last week and I wasn't right. anxious I would almost I would almost replace it in some instances with like I'm just excited you know the outcome is unknown and I'm looking I'm looking forward to this thing and and I really want it to be I really want to prepare and, and and have it be delivered as good but sometimes I like to think of it as like I'm just I'm excited I'm looking forward to it I'm not I'm not anxious but I would get I would get feel physically ill and, uh, and it would manifest physically on me in, in the form of, and you can ask Matt about this, actually, I, I would get hives like oh, all really? up, like through my chest, like through my neck, my face would get all red. And so for public speaking for a really long time, which I kind of want to flip the script and ask you a question, but anytime I would speak publicly and it doesn't have to be a lot of people, but anytime I'd speak publicly, my neck would get all red and you'd just see it coming up through like my like collared shirt. And you're saying and what? So it's, it's a different now? It is different. And I don't know why it doesn't manifest that way anymore. I don't, I don't have that. Maybe it's a confidence thing. But now when I speak, I, I seem to not have that. But I'm talking year up until probably my mid to late 20s. I'm really? 36. So this, this is a new phenomenon that, that doesn't happen anymore. But it's interesting 
about public speaking, you do that for a living. And yes. you do that to the tune. I mean, it's it's 100x the audiences in terms oh, of yeah. size that I've ever spoken in front of. I mean, it, it's it, your audience size. What's your biggest audience size, by the way? Do you remember? The biggest single group at one yeah. time was 3,400. It's crazy. And then there was one group that they said was about, that's for sure. There's one group that I did a conference where they said it was between four and 5,000. So I would say- Let's round, let's just make it safe because they couldn't confirm it. I don't want to lie. It was over 4,000 is the biggest single group. And then there was one conference that I did in San Diego where it was in uh, over, was it over two days? Or maybe it was the same day. They did three groups of 3,500. So it was 3,500 and the San Diego State University, I guess, stadium, 3,500, then another group, 3,500, then another group, about three or 4,000. So in a day, I've spoken to you know, over 10,000, almost 12,000 people in one group, I've spoken to about 4,000. That's the biggest. My average though, can be anywhere from 50 to, you know, a conference that I did last week was 300. This week I'm going to Maine. I'm speaking for, I think it's 275 people. So it's usually in the hundreds is normal, but I have done some pretty gigantic, pretty big. I mean, but can you imagine, so like, so speaking to the audience, listening to this, imagine being in front of even 300 people going up in front of 300 people and talking about a topic for an hour, 30 minutes, however long you're up there for. I'm usually 60 to 90 minutes. It's insane. You know, it's, it's, isn't there, isn't there like studies out there that people like there's surveys that suggest people are more afraid of public speaking than death or well, like there was certain- actually a, there was a joke or it's kind of a line. I don't know who to, who it's attributed to. It might be attributed to Jerry Seinfeld, but it said at a funeral, more people would rather be in the coffin <laughs> than delivering the eulogy. <laughs> so, so it's so true. Yeah. Yeah. But I, so you know, so how do you, how do you, I mean, I imagine that's something you scaled up to, you know, first oh, you're course. talking in groups of dozens and then hundreds sort of, and thousands. Yeah. But I talk to us about that because that is sure. for sure. You're, I, I know you um, very well too. And I think you, you might have the optics also of looking chill, but I also, because I know you well enough, I know that there's, We'll call it chronically activated, which is a term you and I have been using a lot. That's so high, cool. High performing, high functioning anxiety, like whatever we want to call it. But like, right. no one would know when you're up there speaking that that's, that's anything you're experiencing. You do that so well. Like, how do you cope with that? So it's really interesting. That, and of course, this is one of those relate, don't compare kind of podcasts. So if you're not somebody who's got any interest in public speaking, you might be thinking like, well, this doesn't, you know, if I, if I compare, I'm not, but this is more of a relate thing, whatever it is, the thing that makes you anxious or whatever totally. big thing you have to do. Right. So for me, I'm the, I'm, I was the opposite kid of you in the sense of what I did. You were the jock. I was the theater kid. So you not, were okay. stressed out. You were stressed out about getting up at bat. And I was, you know, stressed out about getting up and, you know, being Snoopy and you're a good man, Charlie Brown. So you had a couple dozen or a couple hundred people at a, at a baseball stadium or a high school stadium. And I was in a theater situation. So I have a lot of experience with being on stage in front of people. So that was my background before I went into healthcare, which kind of then translated over to, of course, speaking for a living. So from a young age, I have been very comfortable with being in front of people, but even till this day, Depending on the audience and where I'm speaking and why I'm speaking, I there is definitely I still experience anxiety, uh, and my anxiety comes from a. It's interesting. It, it I would define it more as a uh, perfection issue. Um, it sounds so ridiculous, but you know if, if I get scored a nine on a scale of one to ten 
from somebody, I feel like I failed. So for me, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It, it's a silly thing. For me, my anxiety comes from wanting to have the impact, wanting to be, I'm not really competitive with other people. Like I'm going to be speaking at a conference where there's a very famous uh, 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 speaker that's going to be there. Who's very well known. I don't, I don't want to say who it is and whatever, but who's very well known, has an extremely compelling story. Amazing. And I highly expect that this is going to be the star of the conference. Certainly not moi. Right. So I, I don't care about that. Like, I don't want to be better than that. I just want to be my best. I, for me, when I am really worried about something or when I'm anxious of used speaking as an example, first of all, I've, I focus on being prepared. I think preparation helps minimize anxiety a little bit. Uh, so I focus very much on being as prepared as I possibly can. Number two, I ask myself key questions that are important to why I'm there. Why am I there? Am I there to be the best speaker or am I there to have as much impact as I can? Am I there to impress people or am I there to make a difference for somebody? Am I there for my ego or am I there to serve? And when I've shifted to serving, helping, when I focus on that, then I notice that my anxiety has changed before, especially when I first began and I felt like I had to prove myself. I think that was why I was so anxious because it was this competitive, got to be the best, got to, mm -hmm. you know, oh my gosh, if I don't do well, I'm, you know, I, I want my boss to be impressed. I want this, you know, CEO of this company to be impressed. Now I'm at the point where it's the Pavarotti quote that really struck me. And he said, most people want the audience to love them. I just love my audience. So I focus on that service thing. And I have to say the last, I mean, I, I speak all the time, but the last it, conference that I did like for my company, uh, which was in Vegas, and it was for about 450 people live and about another 400 online. It's the first time in a few years that I was not really worried and, and nervous. It was new material when I went on stage because I was focusing on just loving the people in the audience. So maybe for mm -hmm. people that have to do something in front of, they have to do a presentation at school, they've got an uh, interview for a job, they've got an audition, whatever it might be. They're up, up at, they're going to do a sport, they're competing in a bodybuilding competition or, or baseball game or soccer, that you focus on why am I here? And I notice that that reduces my anxiety significantly. And then there's some physical things I do. I do the um, the Navy SEAL box breathing where you do I – mean, the count's always different. I think it's – is it four? Wait, it's seven? Man, I always mess this up. I don't know. But as you said box breathing, I took a deep breath. Like I should probably take a deep breath right now. So the, the box breathing is where you breathe in for a number. So let's say it's okay. seven seconds. You breathe in for seven. You hold it for seven. You exhale for seven. You hold it for seven. You breathe That's in a long for time. seven. So you just, and you do this through your nose. Uh, there, there's also something, I think it's called four, seven, eight, which slows your heart rate down where you breathe in for four, you hold for seven and you exhale for eight. I may have shared this on another podcast. And studies have shown that that reduces your heart rate. I've done it for myself. So I also will do that. And then I also do self-talk where I have something that I, you know, a mantra that I will say to myself, you know, it could be something like, I am at peace. I am at my best. I am here to serve. And I just say that, but I, I put the emotions behind it. I am, I am here to serve. And you really feel what it feels like to serve people. You see people reacting to you. I am at my best. And you see yourself just up there doing a great job. Uh, Jose Silva, I mean, you've ever heard of the Silva mind, mind control method or the Silva? Oh. It's it's very, very famous. Um, 
there, he does this thing where I, I don't have it memorized and I may have it incorrect where you get yourself in a certain state and then you touch your two fingers or your three fingers to your thumb. And what starts to happen is that creates a mental connection between that state and that physical thing in, in, in meditation, in yoga, in uh, a lot of, you know, Eastern uh, practices, there's something that will be a physical state will be a, uh, connected to a emotional or mental state. Tony it's Robbins called, talks about this. I believe that's called don't don't doesn't Tony Robbins and others in that space call it anchoring. Anchoring isn't, isn't that what that which is? Comes from, yeah, which comes from NLP, neuro linguistic yeah. programming. Sure. So I do do a lot of anchoring. So when you see me on stage, I could actually I'll probably I'll get a screenshot for you. Um, there's there's certain things that I'll there's certain like things that I'll do, and one of the things is I have a a uh, um, a medal. It's something that I found when I was on a medical mission on Duras in my pocket and I'll reach into my pocket and I'll touch it. And I've always done that when I've gotten my state self into a state of peace. So sometimes if I'm on stage and I find myself going too fast or getting anxious, I'll reach my hand in my right pocket and I'll just kind of touch this thing and I'll roll it in my fingers and I instantly feel a sense of peace. So that's, that's more or less what I do uh, as far as the, you know, the physical ways that I deal with specifically as it relates to speaking. Now, life anxiety, I kind of handle in a different way. What about you? I think for you, like your your goal is like you're, you're performing at like such a high level and you have to come up with these strategies and ideas to really like bring yourself back in to a state of peace or whatever. And mm -hmm. I've, I've read a lot about these things like anchoring and, yeah. you know, you know, triggers and stuff or, or taking deep breaths before, before a speaking thing. For me, I've learned that. Um, and I guess this is where you were going to transition anyway, but for me, I've learned that I, I kind of deal with what I would call, I was actually just talking to Raina about this yesterday on our team. Like I have this like sort of constant state of applied pressure more mm. anxiety that I live with. And it ramps up, it ticks up when I have like a, spe like speaking is such a great example, but I liked what you said at the beginning of this, when it doesn't have to be speaking, it could be whatever that thing is that you just want to perform really, really well at. Right. It could be as a, as a, as an athlete, it could be a kid going up to the, to the batter's box and, and you know, you're, you're performing and your goal is you want to perform at your, at your highest level. And a pro probably a lot of that anxiety is, this outcome for which you can't really control. Like right. you don't, you, you're, you're projecting thoughts about the future instead of oh, just yeah. trying to stay in the present, which all those, I, those anchoring things that you do really help you stay present. But I'm curious, what do you do then for the, would you define yourself the same way? Like you have this sort of this constant activation, you know, we yes. call it chronically activated and we I got that, that from Chris and Holmes on the podcast. Like, Love Do you that. find that you you sort of have that behind yes. the scenes at all times? I would say that I am chronically activated at all times, and and I thought that was you know something that's helped me, especially in, in in conversations that I have with you know therapy and trying to improve myself and and learn more about myself. You know, I was raised in a very, you know, we all have those recordings playing in our head, and I actually had a funny thing happen to me. You'll you'll love this. So, you know, my son and I work out together. My fourteen-year-old son and I go to the gym together. And as we're walking in the locker room, I was mid-sentence talking to him. He had said something like, damn, man, I was, I was so weak at that. And I said, stop saying that. I said, mm -hmm. buddy, you did a great job. And I said, remember, we have these recordings playing in our head and it's things that people have said to us or somebody made fun of us or a parent that said something to us. 
And when you play these recordings in your head, you start to believe them. And the cool thing about life is you can change the recordings in your head and speak to yourself in a different way that creates more empowerment. And then you start to believe those recordings in your head instead. And then I pause and I go, yo, that was some Yoda stuff right there. <laughs> and this dude, yeah. unbeknownst to me, there was a guy sitting in one of the stalls using the bathroom. All of a sudden, this guy just busts out in laughter that I didn't even know was there. I said, oh, bro, I'm sorry. He goes, no, for real. Like I was getting like an inspirational talk while I'm sitting on the toilet. So I was like motivating people. But um, I, I think it's, it's, it's something that how I was raised. I, I was raised in a very, oof, tough environment. My mom was tough on me, man. Like got an A minus. What's wrong with you? Why didn't you get an A plus? Mow the lawn. Mm -hmm. Mom, I mowed the lawn. I don't want my lawn mowed. I want it manicured. Mom, look, I cleaned my room. Yeah, but you missed a spot. You know, mm -hmm. so I know that sounds harsh to some people. Maybe it's my generation. I was generation X. My mom was a generation before that. She was born in 1930. So I think I've always been in that state of never being good enough. And, and that's where a lot of anxiety comes from, right? Because I would assume that people that are not in that chronically activated state are people that feel that they're good enough. If you feel that you're enough and if you feel that you're doing your very best and if you feel comfortable with where you are, you're not going to be anxious. But if you're about to do a presentation or you're about to pitch to a client or you're about to be up at bat or you're about to sing a song, if you're like, oh, man, I'm not that good. I'd imagine like, you know, the greatest singer you can ever imagine. I don't know, Andrea, you know, Bocelli or Celine Dion or, or Lady Gaga or Beyonce or whoever you think's a great singer. You always wonder if when they get up to sing after, at a Grammys award or something, if they're comparing themselves to the person that just performed, like, oh man, how am I going to outdo that? You know, I think at every level there is that, but I think that it really stems from that feeling of, am I good enough? Am, am, am I enough? So something that I've learned, I don't know if it's okay to jump to that, but something that I've started to do that I was taught, and it's something that's newish for me, is when I feel anxiety, I think a lot of people fight anxiety. You probably do that. Crap, I'm nervous. I don't want to be nervous right now. Why am I like this today? You know, I, I, gosh, you know, today I've just been stressed the whole day and now I've got this and, and that chronically activated feeling. I don't, I don't think I fight it, but I do feel like I try to, I try to use some self-talk similar to like what you were talking about with Luke in that conversation. Like I, I try to remind myself, well, if, number one, like if I'm identifying that pit in my stomach or I'm not hungry or whatever, wh I try to think like, why, wh what is the problem here? Why do I feel this way currently? And, oh, okay. Like I'll have this inner dialogue of like, okay, I guess I'm worried about the outcome of this. I'm, and so what are the things I can control? Okay. It's a virtual presentation. Let's make sure that the tech is up to snuff. Let's make sure we log in or like uh, the control, the controllables is like a big thing for me. But something I tell myself a lot is almost, and you can tell me this is dumb, but it's like, this is this I'm excited. I'm not nervous. Like I'll tell myself, like I'm, I'm looking you're forward reframing. to this. Like I'm, I'm excited you're, about this. You're like, reframing are, it. Right. These feelings are occurring, but they're not necessarily anxiousness or nervousness. I'm just excited. They're butterflies. Gotcha. Um, I heard this quote. This is me like going back to like sports analogy world. And everyone knows I'm a big Chipper Jones fan. Uh, my dog's name is Chipper. Great. And Great. He One talked of the about, best hockey players of all time. He talked about when he was retiring <laughs> and um, that final like playoff stretch that he had. Yeah. Uh, he's quoted by saying like, I knew I was, it was time to hang it up when I wasn't. I didn't have the butterflies anymore. 
Mm. Like before every at bat, before every game, that feeling that you get, that jitter, the excitement, whatever. And he was like, I knew it was time for me to hang it up when and I didn't experience that. So I try to tell myself like, these are positive feelings. I'm just excited. I'm looking forward to this. And I also tell myself that this is not a burden, but it's a gift. Like part of the double-edged sword of this whole feeling, these, these you know, anxiousness and chronically right. activated that I have is like, well, it's also, I am a high achiever and I've, I've, I've accomplished mm-hmm. a lot at a young age, at least in my own mind, not, not to comparatively to other people. But, um, and the reason that I feel I'm where I am in my life is because of my willingness to work through stuff and, and oh, apply sure. pressure when, for someone who's self-employed, when you don't have an employer, like when you don't have a boss telling you like, these are your KPIs, this is what you need to, this is what you need to hit this quarter. You have to set the tone for yourself. Like it's really difficult sometimes. So you got to, you know, I I noticed that I apply a lot of internal pressure. And so I try to tell myself that it's not a burden. It's a gift that I have these feelings, but I completely interrupted you. No, you didn't. No, I wouldn't say you interrupted me. I would say that you, I think that you, you added something very valuable. It was not a burden. It was a gift. What you just said. I, I think, I think you're doing pretty much what I, what I'm learning. And, and in some ways, you're, you're reframing it. So you're reframing anxiety into something different, which is cool. And what I'm learning to do is kind of a step behind that. And it's just, just acknowledging it. You know, a lot of people go into therapy or treatment as a quote, anxious person. And their goal is to not be an anxious person anymore. It's who you are. That doesn't happen. I don't, I, you don't become not an anxious person. What you do is you just identify it. So what I do now, this literally happened to me two days ago, three days ago. I looked at something that's upcoming and I just instantly felt a dread stomach that wash that washes from the top of your head over your eyes into your stomach. That's how it manifests for me. I feel like a wash that washes down like a blood washing into my stomach. And I just said this, I said this, I go, oh, Hi, anxiety. There you are. I see you. I acknowledge you. I'm feeling anxious right now. This is what I'm feeling. Okay. So there you are. Thanks for being here. Not going to really do much with you right now, but okay, great. You're there. See ya. I see you. Thanks. Okay, cool. And literally it's like, imagine if you saw a ghost and you were terrified and this ghost just pops up in your room as you're going to sleep and you look at it and you go, oh, there's a ghost. Okay. So it's a ghost. You're the spirit of the undead and you're in my room right now and you're kind of creepy looking and I can see through you. There's a ghost. All of a sudden the ghost just, you've just become so like, I'm just accepting that you're here right now. I have to tell you at 50, I just turned 56 yesterday at 56 years old. This has been the number one most helpful thing that I have learned in dealing with being anxious and worried, just acknowledging it's there, accepting it for what it's not trying to change it, not trying to do something with it, not trying to, okay, I'm, I'm, and, and it's fine to say, I'm not anxious. I'm, I'm, I'm excited, but just acknowledging that it's there brings you to this. I can't explain it, but it's been super helpful for me. And Mm -hmm. that's what I've started to do uh, over the last period of time. Like, I don't know how long I've been doing this for, but I, if I was walking around at an anxiety level of seven all the time, minimum, I'm probably walking around at four, like as mm. I sit here right now. Now I peak up to nine sometimes and I'm like, you know, feel like I want to throw up, but then it drops back down again. And it's literally just saying, there you are. 
you know, and I guess you could do that with anger. I guess you could do that with, with jealousy. I guess you could do that with any unhealthy quote unquote emotion, but I no longer am trying to not be an anxious person. That is how I'm wired. That that's, I, I mean, I, I can manage it differently, but it's, it's like trying to not be a short person <laughs> or, or sure. you know, you could put contact lenses on and change your blue eyes to Brown, but you're still a blue eyed person. You know what I mean? So that's what I do. And, and I've got to tell you that for people that are struggling with anxiety there, it's, there's something in Buddhism and I forget what it's called, but it's like a Buddhist story where there's this demon that keeps showing up. I never get this. I think the demon's called Mara, but I might be making this up. And there's a story that Buddha sees this demon popping up as he's giving a lecture. And he goes, basically, I'm sure he didn't use these words, but he's like, hi, Mara, I see you. And everyone's like, what? And he just acknowledges. And the teaching is that these things, these negative thoughts or this anxiety that you just acknowledge it. Like, I see you, there you are. And by doing that, you've just kind of taken away its power, I guess. Yeah. But you're doing yeah. that in a way without even realizing it, I think. But that's what I've been doing. That's what works for me lately. Well, I, def- I, I definitely am. You're right. Uh, I, I'm, I'm acknowledging it. And I, I think in some instances, I do try to reframe it and accept like, th- this is a gift. Like it, it is it, being this way to a certain degree has helped elevate me to where I am. I mean, we talked earlier on, like at the beginning of this year, the year of 100 no's, which was like right. my pursuit of like putting myself in these uncomfortable situations. Yes. And, and, you know, I was talking to someone and they're like, gosh, man, why, why do you always do this stuff to yourself? Like you finally get to like a nice <laughs> settled point and then you find some new, re- like you're a glutton for punishment. He said like, you find some new reason to like push the envelope of, of your, your stress levels. And, and that was interesting to hear. I, I do think I like I like a challenge. Maybe I, I like, you know, it's the first time I ever spoke publicly was probably in front of five or 10 people. And now it's, there's a desire there for me to speak in front of an audience of 50 to a hundred or a hundred plus. And of course, if I just thrust into that and, and spoke in front of thousands, like you do, that yeah. would be, I, I would, I would crumble, but I think there's a, there's a buildup and a work up to those things. And, I don't know, man, for me, it's, it, it is accepting, it's acknowledging it, accepting it. And then, and then really reminding myself, like, it's okay that you're this way. And I I can push over to the edge. I can lean too far into it. And that's where, that's the balance that I feel I try to strike is, is accepting, like, it's okay to be this way. I can't, I can't, you know, go too far. And, and honestly, the whoop is so cool for me because it, it monitors stress levels in real time. Right. So I can see when I'm, when my stress is through the roof and there's moments where I look back at it and I'm like, that's so weird. I don't even, I didn't even think you don't I remember stressed. even feeling that way. Yeah. And so, you know, it's become a normal feeling. And then I do a lot of the things you do. I do some of the practice, the, the breathing techniques. Uh, I follow Dr. Andrew Huberman. So like it's, oh, it's different, that. it's a different breathing technique, but it's essentially the same idea as like, just slow down, slow the heart rate. He does the breathing breaths. technique where you breathe in through your nose and then you do another quick inhale like quick- and then then you sigh it out. Yeah. I do that too. I listen, I I'm like one of these, like all of the above kind of people. Like I believe that you just throw everything at something and find what works for you because some things do and some things don't work. So look, I think for the average person who has anxiety, you know, it's so funny because I know this from being on social media, people get very, Oh, I don't mean to be controversial here, but I think people get very protective of their 
what's the word I want to use? I don't want to say, I'm going to say diagnosis, but I don't mean it that way. People get very protective of like, I am anxious or I am this or I am that. And, and they get very, it's almost like it becomes the label that they give or the title that they wear, or the bumper sticker on their car. It's kind of like how people vote. Like I am an independent or I am a Democrat or I'm a, and like, no matter what, like just, they don't care. The person could be a raving maniac who's like, you know, you know, setting, you know, you know, dollhouses on fire and, and running over, you know, bunnies. I mean, doesn't matter. I'm voting. I just want to vote. Around. And then people like label themselves and they become very, they, they, they kind of label themselves with this. They stay with that. And I find that especially with understanding anxiety or understanding these different things that you have the power to kind of impact a little bit. You have the power to address it. You, you can do something with it. And of course, some people need medication. Some people mm -hmm. are out of state because of how their brain is wired and the brain chemicals in their brain. That's what they need. So we're not minimizing any of that. Sure. Just saying that there's been some proven things that work scientifically proven. And just if the numerator of two, just John and I, some things that you can do. One is breathing techniques been proven. Two is acknowledging your anxiety for being there. You see it, you acknowledge it. I'm, I'm having an anxiety. I mean, I, I've had, I remember one time after I landed in, after, after a, a flight, a medical flight where I was the nurse and things went very bad up in the air. I was very calm during it. And we landed, brought the patient to you know, the ER and, uh, we had to, uh, get ready to, to, um, I, I believe we had to fly back and I had an anxiety attack and I didn't know that's what it was. I thought I was having a cardiac event, but all of the things that I was suppressing up in the air, when we almost lost this child, uh, I just, man, I, I can, I'm getting little, I'm sorry, I'm stumbling on my words. I, I guess I'm reliving a little bit, mm -hmm. but I remember standing there and just like shaking and tears started coming out of my eyes and I was by myself and I, I couldn't catch my breath. And I thought, oh my God, I'm having a heart attack. No, it was an, it was an anxiety attack and they're real. Like they exist. They're not, that's sure. not people. It's a real thing. And, and I remember I, I found somebody, it was one of the docs that I was with. And I just told her, I, said, I think I'm having an anxiety attack. She just kind of walked me through a little bit of a breathing technique. She, funny enough, she was in the military. She had she was a Navy commander and just walked me. She's okay, it's okay. And, and just went through it. And it, it I remember thinking to myself, up until that time, I I kind of shrugged off anxiety. Just thought it was just somebody being weak or yeah. somebody not. No, man, it's a deal. It's a it's it's a thing. So we're not minimizing yours. That that situation was like informed through trauma too. Like like you yeah. went through a very traumatic event. And I can imagine folks like you said she was in the navy or had that background. I think folks that have a military background, it's like they train for that all day long, right? And then they go through a real world scenario where it's life and death, yeah. uh, what whatever the case may be, and they're operating like a, just exactly as they've trained over and over again, as, as you did in this situation as a, as a registered nurse. And, you know, you were, you were very calm the whole time you went to this traumatic event. And I can imagine, like you said, like in these, in these, but in these military instances, you come back and it's not so you can fully process it. Do you, do you even right. get an opportunity to reflect on it on what type of yep. trauma and that was, was and what that yep. caused? Jeez, and it was that processing. It, it was, you know, being on yeah. the ground, realizing this kid almost passed away because we didn't have X on the plane and we got down just in time. And it was this feeling like, 
I had just promised his parents when we took off, I'm going to, I'm, you know, I'm going to take excellent care of your child and nothing's worse than landing and having to tell a family like, sorry, you know, and, and luckily that didn't happen in this case. My point is having had a life of, of a lot of anxiety and not only being somebody that wanted to do a great job all the time and had a very critical upbringing, but then putting myself in jobs where everything was extremely stressful. And now being in a job where I'm literally judged on every time I go to work, I'm getting judged like 100%. It's like American Idol every day, you know? Yeah. Um, we, we acknowledge that it's a real thing. So uh, breathing, acknowledging that it's there, reframing is, now we're not therapists. So by the way, I'm, I'm, for those of you that are experts out there, there may be more to this than that. But what works for us is that reframing, that looking at it, and just acknowledging that it's there, doing some things to change your physiology, uh, maybe creating an anchor where you get in a calm state and then you maybe, you know, do a hand gesture so that, that, that the calm state starts to be connected or anchored as Tony Robbins calls it to that hand gesture or that grip or that whatever finger movement. Um, and then that starts to become your connection. And again, you know, John, there's something to be said, like with your Chipper Jones comment, when I look at like the Michael Jordan documentary and all these things, I'd never hear all of these people, Mike Tyson, any athlete, anybody's in high pressure things, Jocko Willink, when you listen to him, they never say before the battle or before the fight or before the game, I was like, chill, I, was, I didn't care. No, they're all worried and they're all anxious and they're all nervous. So I think there's a healthy anxiety as part of that whole fight or flight thing. But how do you, how do you make sure that it's not something that, that cripples you or, 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 weakens your performance. And the caveat being that if it does, and if you're really suffering, therapy is very helpful. Uh, you know, seek help, look for that, get somebody to kind of talk, you know, to talk to and to kind of help you with that. There's no, we're not minimizing that. There's just some things that you can do, I think on a day-to-day -day basis to kind of help with that. And, you know, you're in a high pressure job, I'm in a high pressure job in different ways, but I think that, that it's a real thing. It's a real thing. Well, you're also you're also a high performing individual, and so you you apply that pressure too. I think the reason you're sure. in the high pressure job you're in is because you've you've self applied pressure over the years to get to the the stature and the point of where you are yeah. in your career. And and I get I I like the conversation we had today because I think it could be easy for someone who let's say follows you you on social media or you know works with me in in the realm of financial planning services like they see the very professional side of what we deliver. And, and Matt actually talks about this a lot. Like he'll say, uh, we, we heard this analogy a long time ago on a podcast. And it was, it was that if you have a, if you have a heart surgeon mm. and your, your life is on the line and you need to have a stint put in, you need to have a pacemaker, you need to have a heart surgery. Right. And that heart surgeon calls you and said the day before and says like, you know, like, I don't really feel like doing that tomorrow. So, I'm just not going to, I'm just not going to do it. Like we, we can reschedule. I'll catch you later. Uh, that's not an option for the heart surgeon. That person nope. has to be uh, someone who applies that pressure and is the ultimate professional is always right. on time is always there. Does the job the same time, 10,000 times over. Right. That is their responsibility to the patient. And that's what we all expect. And so internally we, I know that's like a very extreme analogy to what I do for financial planning. But it's almost for that reason of like, we're professional. I, I'm, you expect of me, and when you come into a meeting with me, like you expect a certain level of what I 
how I'm going to perform at. If I cancel the meeting five minutes before, if I say like, yeah, like I'm doing the meeting today, but like, I don't really feel like it. Like if we could just reschedule, that's not a good sign. All right. That's like, no. that's not a, that's not a good thing. And anybody who is in these situations where they have to perform as a professional, you see, meaning like maybe the audience, the listener, like you see the polished version of that, but the behind the scenes of it is like, we're all coping with stresses. We're all coping with various levels of anxiety at different points in time. For some, it's more of a burden than the others. For me, I, I really too, do try to, to think of it as a, as a gift because it's allowed me to, to get to where I am. That's one thing that for sure, I haven't experienced some of the trauma of folks in, in the military profession or, or, you know, some of the examples you gave, but I really try in my own mind, like I, I don't really, I don't talk about it too much, which is why I'm fun. It's fun for me that we're having this conversation, but I don't want to think of it for myself as a handicap. Like, I don't want to like come into Mm -hmm. a conversation and be like, I'm a highly anxious person, you know, like, I don't, I don't want it to, I don't want that to be my label. Yeah. That's why I've cared so much about doing some of these things, acknowledging, you know, reframing, whatever, doing some of these things to, to, to deal with it and and now talk about it. I think it's cool that we're, that we're talking about. I haven't been shy about, you know, different therapies I've done where I've tried, um, what's that thing where they wave hypnosis. the clock? Hypnosis. Hypnosis, you know, hypnotherapy. Um, I, I did that. I loved that. I thought mm-hmm. it was, I thought it was so cool. It was very unique. It's, uh, it's interesting, but anyway, it's, it's important to be having these kinds of conversations. I, I think I it's not like. only important. I think it's important because I think a lot of the time this stuff stays in the shadows and people are afraid to talk about it because totally. they think it makes them sound weak. Totally. And I, I, I just, this myth of, the fearless warrior who has no fear and just stands there and, you know, faces everything, you know, the, you know, we always joke around about like Dan Pena, these people that are like, stop being a wimp, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Is that what he says? uh, Yeah. He 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 uses a different language. Yeah. He uses a different language, but, but you know, look, man, there's always, there, there's always a a piece of the, of the puzzle, which is being brave and confronting and resilience and resilience and all those things. But man, it's brave to have a conversation about times that you're just worried and you're scared and you have fear. And how do you deal with that? And, and just even having two people talking about it, somebody go, yeah, man, I feel that way too. You know, I'm sure no matter what job, whether you're a a garbage person, a a police officer, a firefighter, a, a, a fighter pilot, or a gardener, you know, there, there's everybody experiences degrees of worry and anxiety and why suffer when you can, you can take care of yourself and do certain things that make a difference. At the end of the day, we're all put on earth to, to try to do some good. We're all put on earth. We all have a calling. We all have a thing that we're here to do. And you can't let the worry and the fear of failure get in the way. You, you know, I heard it said from Lewis Howes, and if I've said this quote before, I apologize to the listeners, but, you know, he said, some people focus on the fact that people have a fear of failure. And then some people focus on the fact that people have a fear of success, but maybe what it all comes down to is people have a fear of being judged. Mm-hmm. And I think so many people are worried about being judged. You know, if I say that I'm nervous, if I say that I'm scared about this presentation, or I'm worried about Sunday's game, or I'm worried about pitching to this client, or I'm worried about the, whatever, that they worry that they're going to be judged and they're going to be thought of as weak or, you know, not able. And, and the fact of the matter is, man, I think it takes more guts to say, I'm a little worried, I'm a little anxious than it does to be like, yeah, I'm good. I got this because I don't trust that person. I don't want that heart surgeon to say, yeah, no worries. I got this when they're thinking to themselves, I've only done this procedure once, but really Dr. Kennedy would be much better at it. I'd rather the heart surgeon say that than pretend to be overly confident when they really, I'm going to Google it tonight. Like that would be great. Right. 
Well, I just want to let you know about your heart surgery tomorrow. I've never done this particular procedure, but I'm going to Google it and watch a couple of YouTubes and I think I'll be good to go. Or, hey, I've never really done this procedure. And while I'm a competent heart surgeon, certainly my partner, Dr. Kennedy, has done this a thousand times. I'm going to speak to him about your care and have him talk to you in the morning. We're going to reschedule this. We're, we're good to go with a, our time frame and have him do it because I think you'll get a better outcome. That, yeah. I, right? So listen. Let us wrap this up. Are you feeling less anxious now that we've talked about it? Do you feel a little better? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I purposefully came into this anxious. I was like, I'm gonna go fasted. I'm gonna drink a bunch of coffee. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna get to the heart of the matter, and I feel like we did in 45 minutes. Should our next podcast be about overly consuming caffeine and its effect on the human body? Should we do that one next, possibly? No, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, like while we're eating donuts, so we just <sighs> we just we're eating donuts. Oh, this is an idea for the podcast. We could. What? Be doing active like we could be like weight training while we're recording the podcast and eating donuts. Should we combine all of it? Or one thing, one thing at a time. We Just could be drinking wine. We could be. I think I don't drink hilarious. though. I, I don't drink. Don't. That would be funny I if I drank because that would be a very strange podcast. Neither do I. Speaking of strange podcasts, we appreciate all of you for being on this strange podcast with us. If you wouldn't mind please like and share this podcast with as many people as you possibly can. John, you have any anything else you want to say as I wrap this up? You're wrap good? it up, baby. We'll I see you it. next week. Thank you guys for joining us on Above Board with Canterpath. Hope you got a little something out of this. We are very, very grateful for you. And until the next time, take good care of yourself and everybody around you. Much love. Peace out.